Hey, if you uh, if you've been reading a chapter a day this month, uh, so today would be the day to read the last chapter of John. If you fell behind, that's okay because there's like ten more days to catch up. Um, just thought I'd remind you that we are reading through the Gospel of John, uh, one chapter a day, uh, each month, and. Uh, the reason is to get to know Jesus, get to know Him, and understand Him. If we, if, if we do this, we've read through John 12 times this year. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, how about four? Take three months to read 23. That's only seven chapters a month. I, I just want to encourage you to be reading the Gospel of John several times this year, twice at least. Uh, it's not going to hurt. And uh, if, you, if you have trouble with reading, eyesight, or, or whatever, uh, on the YouVersion Bible app that we use here for our Sunday morning uh, uh, sermon notes, there's a, many of the translations have a little speaker on it. You click that and then it'll read to you. Don't do it right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can do it right now. It's okay, I suppose. <laughs> Make sure you have headphones or something. So, people, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how the, a lot of people have questions uh, about Jesus. And one of the questions that, that I've heard quite a bit in the last few months is, where was Jesus when this pandemic started? Why didn't he keep those bats out of the human population? Why did he let this virus come into us? Why did he let it uh, uh, mutate? Why did he let it get out of China? Why did he, why did he, why did he, where is Jesus in all of this? Uh, why isn't Jesus here? Why isn't Jesus doing something? Why, uh, where was Jesus? Where was Jesus when my mom died? Heard people ask that kind of question. Where was Jesus when children, or where's Jesus when children are molested and abused, when people are sold into slavery? We don't call it slavery anymore. We call it human trafficking. Personal pet peeve. I think we need to go back to calling it slavery because most people hate slavery. Human trafficking sounds like we're just trying to help people get somewhere. Well, we are, but it's not for their benefit. Never mind. I just, okay, it's a whole other sermon, Mark. Now, where's Jesus when murderers kill people? Where was Jesus when my dad lost his mind? Where's Jesus? One of the things I have observed about our questions, I have them. I snuck some of them in here. But our questions about Jesus' presence often grow out of our sense of insecurity and anxiety. It's as though we're saying, Jesus, if you showed up, none of these bad things would have happened. If you had shown up, there wouldn't be a pandemic. If you had shown up, my mom would be fine. If you had shown up, people wouldn't get killed. If you would just show up, Jesus... Two of Jesus' closest friends when he walked this planet were 
uh, sisters, Mary and Martha, and they wondered exactly that same thing. Along with their brother Lazarus, they knew that Jesus loved them, cared for them deeply. They knew what he could do because they had seen him do things and they had heard stories about the things he had done. They were close to him. But something happened. In John chapter 11, this morning we're going to be there. Uh, now a man named Lazarus was sick. Can you repeat that with me? Lazarus was sick. <coughs> Lazarus was sick. Okay. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That's kind of... By the way, that's a tickler for something that's going to happen in a later chapter. John just tosses that in. But okay, so first he says Lazarus is sick. Lazarus now lay sick. The guy's in bed. He's not just sick. He's sick in bed. Okay? And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Do you get the picture? Lazarus is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, the sick, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus, look at this with me. I'm sorry, I catch up with myself. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, he waited two days. Did you see that? And that, by the way, is exactly what John said. That's, that's not some mistake. That's not some, some uh, you know, goof. That's not somebody's idea. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he decided to wait two days after he found out Lazarus was sick. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And they're all going, but Rabbi, the last time you were there, these people tried to kill you. Why on earth do you want to go back there? And Jesus said, well, you know, uh, there are 12 hours of daylight. Obviously, he didn't live in Michigan. Uh, <laughs> Anyone who walks in the daytime can see where they're going. They're not going to trip. But if you walk at night and there are no lights, by the way, these folks did not have flashlights, headlights, you know, LEDs, none of that stuff. They didn't have that technology. The best they could hope for was a little lamp that may or may not get blown out when the wind blows, right? So they had nothing much to see with at night except maybe the moon and the stars. And if it was cloudy, well, it was all over, right? Uh, and so he says, if, if you go in the nighttime, uh, you're going to stumble because there's no light. You're going to trip over things you didn't even know were there. And after he said this to them, then he goes on and says, our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. Okay. Uh, but Jesus, these are the people who want to kill you. 
And if Lazarus is asleep, that means he's probably going to get better. And why do you need to go wake him up? Can't Mary and Martha handle that? And so Jesus, uh, Jesus had spoken about his death. And I think, one of the, why? This is one of the things when I looked at this, I was going, why did he say that? And, I, and this is what I think. This is what I think. When he, when he was talking about death his sleep, I think what he was indicating is that he can wake up people from death just as easy as he can wake up somebody from a nap. That's my king. So since they weren't getting it, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad I wasn't there so that you, for your sake, so that you can believe. Uh, so let's go to him. Now, think about this. Okay, they're trying to kill you. And he's already dead. Why are we going there again? In fact, Thomas, you know, the, the famous doubter, uh, after the resurrection. Thomas said to the rest of them, just so you know how dedicated Thomas was, Thomas says to the, everybody, the other disciples, let's go with him so we can die with him. Not going to nominate him for positivity awards. But courage and commitment, yes. Let's go. When I, Jesus arrived, he found out that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb, buried in the tomb, four days. Now, just, I'm going to do some quick math for you. Uh, Jesus waited two days before he came back. We're not sure exactly where Jesus was when he received word, but he was either one or two days' journey away from Bethany. So it's a very good chance that by the time Jesus received the news that Lazarus, the one you love, is sick, they were putting Lazarus in his tomb. So he waited two days, and it took him two days to get there, and lo and behold, he's been in the tomb for four days. That's very significant for the, that particular culture and that particular time. They had an idea that when a person dies, their soul, their spirit would kind of hang around for three days. And there was a chance you might be able to wake them up or resuscitate them. But after three days, when you hit day four, the spirit has gone and there's, not, there's nothing left there but a physical shell and it's all over. There's no hope. They're deader than a doornail, to use a term my mama used to use. Deader than a doornail. No hope. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the people who lived in Jerusalem had come out to see uh, and to be with Mar Mar Martha and Mary. So obviously there were other people who loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. I mean, maybe their culture was a little different than ours, but I do not attend funerals for people I don't know. Well, unless I'm the pastor. Uh, but 
generally speaking. I just don't go down to the funeral home and go, hey, I want to hang out with this family. And everybody's looking around, who are you? I don't know, I just wanted to come to a funeral. That doesn't happen. So all these people came from Jerusalem to Bethany, loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus too. They came to comfort them, Mary and Martha in particular. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out. She went out from the house and she went out to meet him. And this is what she said when she got there. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why didn't you hurry? I don't know if that's exactly what she was thinking. You know what I do know about grief? When we're grieving, we have all kinds of emotions. Sometimes we're mad. Sometimes we're mad at the person who died because they left us. And we're, and then we realize, well, that, well, that's dumb. They didn't really have any choice in it. Then we feel bad for being mad at them. We get guilty about it. Or, or we feel guilty because there's something more we could have done. Or we are angry at other people because we think they should have done more. Or... And then we're sad because they're gone. We, and we miss them and there, there's this big hole, right? Grief is like a gazillion things all at once. So I don't know exactly what Mary, Martha was thinking when she said this, but she did say this. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then she said, but even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask. There's one thing I've observed about some people in the Bible, and I've even observed about a lot of, uh, a lot of other people uh, who are following Jesus. We sometimes say way more than we know we said. And I'm gonna, you're going to see this in the story in a moment, but I'm going to tell you right now, Martha did not think at all that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Even though she said, God will do anything you ask him to do, she didn't put raising Lazarus on the list. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. We'll know it in a moment. So Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, well, I know he's going to rise at the end of time when there's the great resurrection, that great, great resurrection day, that good, great getting up morning. I wish I could sing that little tune, but I don't. I just couldn't remember the words. And a great getting up morning. I know that's going to happen out there someday, in the future, somewhere. And Jesus looked at her and says, "I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live now, and even though they die, whoever lives by believing in me will never die." Do you believe this? There's a whole other sermon there. We're going to preach that in a few weeks. Just coming back to that. I just want to say, there's some good stuff in there and I don't want to spoil it. So she replies, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is, is to come or has come into the world. You're the one that was promised to us. And just as surely as the resurrection is promised, that great getting up morning is promised to us, just as surely as that, you were promised to us and you're standing here right in front of me right now. 
She still doesn't get it. Just so you know. And after she said that, she went back and called her sister Mary aside and she says to him, Sister Mary, hey, the teacher's here. Jesus is here. Uh, he's out at the edge of town. And Mary goes, oh! And she runs out. And everybody in the house sees Mary run out. Apparently Martha's sneakier because nobody noticed her leaving. <laughs> but when Mary takes off, everybody's going, she's going to the cemetery, let's go! follow her and when Mary reached the place where Jesus was she fell at his feet and said boy that looks familiar Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died Jesus saw her weeping and he saw all the people who had gathered around come along and they were weeping and it says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Nobody really knows how to, what to do with that passage. I mean, that's, that description of Jesus. Because it, that, those words are usually used to describe somebody who's angry. When we read him, we see him always seeing him crying and he's sad for them. No, that's, but it could be, but usually it's for somebody who's just about to blow their stack. And it's just decided, ah, then I'm going to do something. <clears throat> One of the commentators that I looked at one of the Bible study uh, experts said that uh, he thought that this may have been the equivalent of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that's reported by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke. Not my will, but yours be done. You know, if, the, if I can, if this cup, if you can take, if I can escape without going through the crucifixion, but not my will. Jesus knew what his disciples had already indicated to him. As soon as he does what he knows he's about to do, he signed his death warrant. And I think what rose up within him was, a, again, that mixture of grief. He does understand what we feel. And also anger at the fact that people die because he never created us for that. And he was determined to do whatever it took to make that stop. So he says, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see, Lord. And it says, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, one of the most powerful. And by the way, there's a whole sermon in those two words, but we'll save that for another time. But when the people around him saw Jesus weeping, they said, see how much he loved him? And then some of them said, could not, this, could not the one who healed blind people keep him from dying? Could not the one who set 
from miles away that this guy's son would live and he was healed? Couldn't he have just said from wherever he was, oh, Lazarus is going to be fine, he's healed. Like, could he have done that? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, still. Determined. Went to the tomb with them and said, Move the stone. Now, here's how I know Martha still didn't get it. <coughs> she looked at Jesus and said, Lord, he has been in there four days and he stinks. Have you ever been around roadkill? There's nothing that will open the sinuses faster. And Lazarus has been in a stone cave, sealed closed, for four days baking. This is the Middle East where it gets really hot. Not Michigan. It wasn't, he wasn't in a refrigerator. He was in an oven. So when Martha says, Lord, he stinks, she's probably been close enough to the tomb to be able to tell you that is not an airtight seal. And Lord, he does not smell like Old Spice. Jesus says, didn't I tell you you were going to see God glorified? And so they moved the stone. And Jesus prayed, Father, I know that you always hear me. I thank you. I know that you always hear me. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for answering my prayers. Help these people believe. And when he had prayed, notice he didn't even say amen. Oh, that's, never mind. Uh, he, he called out in a loud voice. Haynes paraphrase. Hey, buddy, come on out. I don't know, yeah, it says he said Lazarus, but I'm pretty sure that, well, he loved him. Was his friend. Lazarus, come out. I love verse 44. And the dead man came out. But John, dead men don't come out. They do if Jesus tells them to. And then Jesus tells them to take off the, the grave clothes and let him go. And, and then it tells us Many of the Jews who had come out, many of the people who had come out to be with Mary and Martha and saw what Jesus did, believed in him, they started saying, he has to be the Messiah. Nobody else could possibly tell somebody who's been dead and buried for four days to come out and they would do it. This is a God thing. This is a big God thing. <clears throat> and 
But some of them ran to the Pharisees and told on him. Now the, the following conversation just, I, sometimes what we do as human beings leaves me scratching my head and laughing at the same time. They're so bent on trying to make Jesus fit in their box and so mad that he doesn't that they hear that this guy does what only God can do. They don't deny it. They don't go, oh, it must have been some kind of trick. He must have, you know, I don't know how Lazarus managed to be in that cave for four days without having something to eat. Oh, maybe they snuck snacks into him before he went in there. You know, maybe he wasn't really dead. Maybe, you know, maybe, they didn't do any of that. They didn't deny what Jesus, that, that what Jesus did pointed to the fact that he must be God or somehow really in with God. They decided that if we just let him keep on going, the Romans are going to come in here and smash us. Take away our temple, take away our, 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 our livelihood, take away our freedom, what freedom we have. Um, and the high priest, one of the, the former high priest says, hey, one of the high priest says, I think it's better for one man to die than for everybody else in town. Better for one to die than the whole nation. Let's get rid of it. And that was their decision. From that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now this is where he started laughing. How do you plan to kill somebody who raises dead people? Now how do you plan to keep him dead? Yes, Easter's in two weeks, by the way, in case you haven't forgotten. <laughs> so here we have this question why doesn't Jesus hurry why, why does he seem to run late on our clocks so often why does he seem to run late when we need him to show up and I think Mary and Martha now would take us to the side and say look Jesus schedule seldom matches ours but he's always on time. He's always right on time. So what prevents us from experiencing Jesus' presence? Why, why do we have so many questions? Why do we strive? What is this thing about us that we want to strive and, and do everything we can to steer clear of insecurity and discomfort and, and all these things that come into our lives? Could it be could it be that we try to hang on to every last shred of control we can in order to maintain our peace of mind and our comfort? And if somehow that makes us feel like we ought to be able to control Jesus and his schedule. You know, I, the, the, sin, the line I'm about to share with you uh, was shared with me by one of my coaches, one of, one of my mentors. Uh, many, many, many years ago. And in some cases, it is an absolutely vital thing for us to understand 
And in other situations, it is the worst advice you could ever possibly get. I'm telling you that now as a disclaimer. But it seems like many of us live our lives saying, if it is to be, then it's up to me. You know, that's fine when you're talking about whether you're going to eat healthy or not. Or what color socks you're going to wear tomorrow. You know, don't call somebody and say, hey, should I wear the purple ones or the blue ones? Don't call me and ask. I don't know, why don't you go barefoot? Just a hint. So, it, that's fine. If it is to be, it is up to me when, on these things. But when it comes to feeling safe and secure, it's a total failure. That's the last thing you can do is keep yourself safe and secure in this world. It is broken beyond words. If I feel, if I'm to feel safe and secure and I believe it's up to me, then I feel like I have to make sure Jesus, who really is the only one that has the power to do that, I have to make sure that he does what I want him to do, when I want him to do it, how I want him to do it. And there's one thing I've learned, you do not tell the king kings what to do. And expect him to do it. The cross. The cross overturns all these ideas about security and comfort. See, at the cross we learn, if it is to be, it's not up to me on this stuff. You know, little things, yes. Big things, like comfort, security, peace of mind. If it is to be, it is not up to me, it is up to Him. At His schedule, at His agenda, at His time, and in His way. Even when we feel forsaken, Jesus doesn't abandon us. The cross demonstrates to Jesus' immeasurable love for you. 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 Even me. Are the ones He loves. All of us. None of us are left out. Even those folks that ran off to tattle on him. He loved them. Even the ones who decided they had to kill him. He loves them. The cross proves that pain and death can exist in Jesus' presence. And that just because he doesn't seem to be doing what we want him to do when we want him to do it, doesn't mean he's not helping. And that he's not going to win. sermon in a sentence. Your comfort and security cannot confirm Jesus' presence. If you feel good and everything's fine, it's going to be real tempting to think Jesus is with me. There are a lot of people in this world who have more than enough 
And they're no closer to Jesus than those who do the trafficking of human beings that buy and sell slaves. Being comfortable doesn't prove a thing. Being secure doesn't prove a thing. Neither does being uncomfortable or insecure. Being anxious, these things don't prove anything. Our questions, your questions about Jesus' presence often grow out of your sense of insecurity and anxiety. But your comfort and your security can neither confirm nor deny his presence. It's the wrong measuring stick. Do you want to know if Jesus is with you? Do you want to know if Jesus loves you? The measuring stick is a cross on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He doesn't need to say it anymore. You don't, need, you don't need him to prove that he's with you. He did. Does. Even when he doesn't think he's anywhere close, he is. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you to open our eyes to Jesus' presence. We, we get so caught up with trying to measure how comfortable we are and how secure we are and how well things are going for us and as if that somehow proves that Jesus is with us when his cross shows the final and total proof. Nobody loves us like that. Nobody can. Nobody ever will. He's the only one. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to make Jesus so real to us that it feels as if we could just reach out and touch him. Give us peace in the middle of our storms. Give us an assurance and an experience of Jesus' love that kind of drowns out all of our questions. Take us to the cross. Amen. There are a couple things I want to say. Uh, one is thank you for connecting with us. Thank you to those who are online. Uh, we appreciate you being here. And the other one is, yes, Easter is two Sundays from now. Easter, this is going to be our second Sunday with pandemic going on. Our second Easter Sunday with pandemics going on. It ain't going to be like Easter used to be. That's all I can tell you. But this is one of the things I pray about every Easter. This is what I pray for. You and I both know that there are people who will show up 
either online or in, on site for church who don't come, maybe any other time. And for some of them, it's going to be the Sunday. Years from now, they're going to tell their story about how they met Jesus, and they're going to say, they used to go church Easter sometimes, Christmas time, and there was this one Sunday, this one Easter, when I finally got it. That's what we're praying for. that men and women who will be celebrating Easter with us and everywhere else, with every other congregation around the world, that there will be people who will be able to look at April the 8th. Fourth. Fourth. April the 4th and say, that's the day I got it. That's the day I met Jesus. That's the day I knew he loved me more than anybody ever could. And that's the day he started changing me and making me what he made me to be. That's when I got it. Only the Holy Spirit can do those things. So let's pray for him. Invite him. Encourage them to be online or to be here with us. Or to be online or somewhere else with some other congregation. So they have the chance to meet Jesus. After Jesus rose from the grave, he came to his disciples. They met him in, on a mountain and, and he, he, he came to them and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I'm going to stop there for a moment because we all have heard that and I, I kind of repeat that kind of whole idea every single week. We are sent. Go. Today I want to underline the, the rest of the story. Jesus said, surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. Jesus never sends us out alone. He always goes with us. Always. He doesn't say, here's your job, go do it, come back when you're done. He says, here's my work, come join me. Let's go. And so, you are sent. Go with Jesus.